Welcome to the My Intimacy Therapist podcast. I'm therapist and coach, Shade Giovanni. If you want to feel less anxiety in your relationships and enjoy a confident and spiritual intimate life, you're in the right place. So grab a cup of tea and a warm blanket and let's talk intimacy. Hello, hello, hello. Today's episode is another story from a real person who's lived their real life and the hope here is that you would be able to hear their story and connect with some part of it so that you can also feel fully seen and known and loved in the parts of our stories that are just like a little bit more messy or unclear and so you don't hear people talking about it, you know, on social media or just sharing about it randomly over lunch because... This is just not as straightforward and clear. It's something that each of us learn and develop as we live life. So the themes for this episode are around purity culture, around spirituality and deconstruction, specifically within Christianity, around um, mental health within the context of being married as you have your own personal mental health struggles and being married to a partner with that, all of that good stuff. So If you can relate to any of that, please continue listening to our guest story today. And even if you can't relate to it, listen and see if there's something you can learn to help you perhaps better understand a friend in your life or a stranger you might meet someday. Let's dive in. Hello. (laughs) Hi. So we have a special guest on the podcast today. Could you introduce yourself for the people? Sure. I'll I'll give like the 30 second elevator spiel. Of course. My name is Ayana Lage. I am a freelance writer and lifestyle blogger based in Tampa, Florida. I have been married for about six years and have uh, one daughter. And yeah, I, I spend a lot of my time writing online about mental health, parenting, um, Christianity and deconstruction and just the whole range of things. Um, yeah. But yeah, so good to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. Uh, we were just talking a little bit before we pressed record, but I found you years ago when you were on Tumblr writing all the beautiful things, which you've always had. Uh, your writing sounds poetic or from what oh, I remember. Oh, thank you. No, that's so kind of you. Absolutely. I was, I resonated with it because it was very like, you know, heart and all of these things, which are you an Enneagram four? I'm an Enneagram three. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very interesting. I'm usually mistyped as an eight, but um, I've never gotten four before. Yeah. I'm a three wing four. So I felt okay. like <laughs> there is a connection there, but Yeah. So I wanted to have you on the podcast largely because you have been a form of storyteller. And I think that a lot of people don't tell the parts of story that you do so well, if I can say it that way, um, of just like, here's the real stuff of what's going on. And here's the awesome stuff where social media right now is mostly just this highlight reel of everything that's perfect and shiny. But you've been very honest about your experience in a way that is still, I'm sure, boundaried with social media, right? I hope you're not like all the details of your life, but so can you let the people know your story and 
who you are, how you met your man, how you got to where <laughs> you are today. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, first, thank you for your kind words. I, I really appreciate it. I feel like I have shared my life online. Probably, I don't know if you remember, if you're ever like on Zanga, but like, oh my ever, gosh. I feel like as long as I've had access to the internet, I've kind of been an open book, um, which has been a good thing and a bad thing. I think I've only in the last couple of years gotten good at boundaries and feeling mm-hmm. or realizing rather that I don't owe anyone any parts of my story. I just, I get to share it, but I don't have to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm trying to think of anything that might be relevant. I'm a pastor's kid. Um, my husband and I met in, we went to different high schools, but we met in high school because we were attending the same youth group. Um, you mentioned Tumblr, which that was like a big part of my journey. I, I when I was in high school, uh, started blogging extensively about Christianity and spirituality and um, dating as a Christian and, you know, going to a quote unquote secular university. So mm. a lot of stuff there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I um, studied journalism in college, worked at a newspaper for a little bit of time decided it wasn't for me um did some digital marketing work and eventually ended up deciding to go full-time freelance so I've been self-employed for three years now which is absolutely wild and yeah I'm having a lot of fun with it so I feel like that covers like the basics so we can dive into whatever yeah which so for people who can't see you and I, I feel like this is a relevant piece to mention because multicultural perspectives are really big value of mine and so you and your husband are an interracial relationship um and so there's that added layer and then we've got growing up as a pk and purity culture and all of that stuff so how would you describe how that has impacted your relationship Yeah. So my husband is um, white Latino, which honestly, I think the fact that he isn't American in the sense that like, so he's from Brazil and his parents and his family is Brazilian. And I I do think that that has made a difference in in some ways with my experience. I mean, Brazil obviously has its own problems with racism and colorism, but it's not like the U.S. And I have black girlfriends who've dated like white American men and dealt with all of the intricacies that come with that. And um, so I do feel lucky in that regard, but yeah, um, I, I feel like I overall um, avoided a lot of the like family disapproving stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, His family was welcoming. Mine was welcoming, which was nice. Um, you know, we deal with microaggressions, especially now that we have a daughter and people yeah. like never know what to make of, of a mixed race child. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I think I got really lucky. I think that we were just talking recently about how many friends we have who've gotten divorced in the time that we've been a couple, mm. um, not married, but just since we, we've been together 11 years yeah. and we started counting in six of the couples that we have like been friends with over the last decade are divorced, which is, um, like, these are people like we're close enough to like be at their weddings. You know what I mean? Wow. Um, so it's wild, you know, I feel like, like we really lucked out. Um, 
you know, we've both changed a lot. Our spiritual views are not what they were when we got married, but um, yeah, we've kind of evolved together, which has been really fun. Oh, I'm very curious about the spiritual views. How has that evolved for you guys? That is a very, a very good <laughs> question that will probably have like a long-winded answer. I'm um, ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's probably different. I mean, I can't speak for Wagner, my husband, but at least for me, I think that I um, I started to drift away from evangelicalism um after the election um the 2016 election um Wagner was on staff as a worship leader at a predominantly white mega church and just seeing the way that people were responding was just like such a turn off for me and I feel like I'd already for a while been to the left of the church on issues like um gay rights and women in leadership and all of these things. So I'd already felt like I didn't belong. Um, But I mean, I guess the larger piece of it is that I grew up in like a very conservative Pentecostal church. Um, And then I drifted away from that when I went to college and kind of found like a more um, non-denominational, you know, church to be a part of. And, And so I don't think I've ever struggled with deconstruction the way that some people have. I think my husband had like a very like, process like to find a moment where he was like unpacking and then repacking and for me I'm just kind of like I feel like my faith journey has been me changing my mind a lot (laughs) so so for that reason I I it wasn't like a huge moment for me but yeah the last few years we've um found a local church that is like more aligned with our views but even then I still sometimes struggle with like what it means to be a Christian and to publicly call myself a Christian, like in, in such a, I don't know what the word is, just like divisive times. Yeah. The, the word Christian has a lot of meaning behind it. A lot of very different meaning based on who you're talking to, which a lot of my work, both at this, both as a therapist and as a human I like taking words and then pulling them apart to see what they mean. So whether that's, you know, like intimacy and sexuality, which I talk about a lot, but also Christian. I don't know if this is too overarching to say, but one of the weaker areas of our faith might be our inability to like allow for different colors and perspectives and all of those things um, to come together and by colors, I was thinking very much like a paintbrush, but also multiculturalism to have them all come together and help us. Like, we're all just trying to understand who God is, but it can be very divisive when it feels like you have to think exactly this way or else you're not one of us. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I read, I'm, I'm reading a, um, a book, um, it's called This Here Flesh by Cole Arthur Riley. I'd recommend it to anyone listening. But she says, I don't have a lot of certainties about God, but I do have a lot of hope. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I feel like that is where I've landed. I think that a part of the reason that I felt so vocal about my faith before was because I was afraid what would happen if I asked questions, you know? So instead it was like, the Bible says it, this is what it is. Like, there's no room for nuance or for me to like really think about okay, like, but what does this really mean? Like in today's cultural 
context through this lens. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like allowing for the uncertainty has been like a huge benefit for me. I would really like to think God is not intimidated by our uncertainties. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So you were raised in the same time as Josh Harris and sweet Josh. <laughs> we love him, but I kiss dating got goodbye for some of y'all who don't know was kind of like the purity culture book. It was like the, <laughs> it was almost the purity culture Bible. I feel like, Oh um, Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what was that like for you? Because you were also dating your husband, I think, around the same time as all of that was still very much active. So how did you figure out what sexuality or intimacy meant to you as a person then and then maybe even compared to now? Yeah, I, you know, so the funny thing is I never read Josh Harris's book, but I was very familiar with the genre, you know, like the kind of yeah. I don't want to say knockoffs because yeah. I don't know what came first, but like the every young woman's battle, et cetera. Um, I think that I, as I feel like for many like Christian teenagers, I just decided very early on, like, I don't want to date around. I want the first guy that I date to be my husband. Um, like the first guy that I'm in is, you know, like high school like you know not real relationships but the first guy that I'm like really you know serious about I want that to be my husband and I don't want to have sex and I want to set an example through purity and the funny thing is I, I was telling you before we started recording I did all of those things on paper um but, <laughs> but the end result was not as gratifying I think as I thought it would be I thought that mm. I think I had a lot of incorrect harmful ideas about sex as a result of some of the teachings um, that that I was raised with. Um, and I know that it's common because I've been vocal about my experiences and had people speak up and say that they could relate. Um, just this idea that you wait until you're married to have sex or, you know, and then it's like, there's this blurred, like, well, like the, the Bible doesn't say how far you can go. You just got to listen to the Holy spirit. And it just ends up being so weird and legalistic. But, um, and then after that, I, I didn't know that there was anything after that. I thought it was just kind of like, and then you live happily ever after. Mm. Um, but I realized pretty quickly that like, <sighs> I would say that like, I, I don't know how detailed you want me to get. I, I'm as comfortable with as comfortable okay. as you are. Okay. <laughs> you. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I didn't know that sex would be painful. I didn't know that it would take time to figure out. I didn't know no one really talked to me about like, you might have like mismatch sex drives yeah. or you might have, it, it may not feel natural right away. Um, you know, all that I ever heard was you get married and then the reward is having sex and it's amazing. Um, and so I feel like I had to unpack mm -hmm. a lot of that um, after I got married. And I also had to kind of wrestle with the idea of like, it's just kind of like, is this what purity is supposed to be? You know, we can kiss, but only for this amount of time and we can, you know, I'm not going to like obviously get into the specifics, but we can right. do this, but not that. And we can touch this part of our body, but not the other part. Um, most of the couples that I know who waited 
until marriage, who didn't get married immediately, because it's also something that happens in the church, but who were dating for at least a couple of years, found loopholes and ways to still feel physical pleasure without, without it being a sin. And so it's just, it's very, very interesting. Um, I've always, or not always, but since I kind of like started thinking outside of the box on some of these things, I've, you know, I've wanted to talk about it and wanted to like really process it, but it wasn't until I had a daughter who is very young, you know, I have years, but, and I started thinking like, what am I going to teach her about sex, about modesty, about purity? Um, so yeah, it's been interesting. Oh man. Yeah. That that's what you just said there. That was pretty big. If when you have your own daughter, then it brings all of this right back up because now it's your turn to shape how she encounters it as she, and I don't mean to say that in a pressureful way, but. No, but there is a lot of pressure, (laughs) rightly so. You know, I feel like it's kind of a a make or break thing. My parents did a really good job. Mm. Um, But even then, when you're in the framework of, if you do anything before marriage, you're sinning and there isn't much else discussed there. Like, I don't know. I feel like there's always going to be some degree of harm with that. Yeah. And the work that I get to do is like completely around this specific principle, but it's like when you're a woman, specifically a woman for men, it's a little bit different. And we could talk about that, but when you're a woman and you've been told your body and your sexuality is a trigger or is something that causes other people to stumble or just don't pay attention to this part of yourself, it's not even really relevant until you're married and you get to marriage and it's like, what? what the heck? And it feels lonely because it's not like people are just out here saying, oh, I also experience pain or we haven't consummated our marriage yet. And it's been like four five, six months or anything like that. Um, where did you start to find healing and deconstruction or reconstruction throughout your relationship? You know, I think that I did not immediately have this experience. I would say it took a couple of years for me to kind of look at it big picture and to think like, I don't know how I feel about that. Cause I thought that it was all normal. Um, and it is normal in the sense that no matter when I'd started having sex, I would have had to work through those things, you know, with my husband, even if we were having sex when we were dating, I'm, I'm sure there would be, those issues of like figuring things out and figuring out what works and what doesn't. But um, I think that I started to really think it through. I would say probably like about like three or four years into our marriage. Um, I think that it's difficult to really talk about, or at least it was for me, because I kind of had this this feeling where I was like, if I start talking about some of this or start allowing myself to feel differently than I once did, then like, what was this all for? You know, I kind of made it my life's mission in a sense to like, not only save myself for marriage, but to be like this picture of purity and holiness. And if I then start to feel like maybe I didn't have to do all of that, or maybe some of that didn't have as much to do with God as I, as I, as I thought it did. Um, I was kind of worried, like, will the whole thing unravel? Um, but yeah, I would say that a few years in, as I started to talk to my friends um, 
and especially talk to friends who like didn't have success stories like I mentioned having friends who are getting divorced who dated for six months because they were eager to move in together and have sex and not get fired from their ministry jobs um you know I'm like okay is that really it is God looking at that like okay this is this is better and this is like more in line with I don't know with 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 how things should be than a couple I, I don't know it's it's still so convoluted in my head sometimes but I, I think I started asking those questions probably like two or three years ago yeah and I appreciate that because that's specifically what I created this podcast space for too is to not have a direct this is the answer and the formula for all people I cannot tell you how much I hate that um so I'm trying to exist in this this uh space of uncertainty and hopefully humility and allowing us to ask childlike questions to an extent where we don't have to know complete answers that was a really damaging part I think of some of purity culture was this is the answer and then like you said now we get to the age where some of those marriages are dissolving. It's like, oh, wait, there were other elements other than wanting to have sex that we probably should have been paying attention to. Right. But it's almost because it's like, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. It becomes this thing that's on a a pillar, on a pedestal. And so now that's all you can think of and you're not paying attention to the other factors of relationship. So yeah, it is, it's convoluted and it's twisted and I think to an extent we can allow it to be that way or that's the hope. Like how, how different do you feel like it would have been if you were allowed to ask more questions around this topic when you were younger? Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is, I don't know that I would have Um, asked the questions because I think I was so afraid of getting it wrong, you know, um, or messing up my future marriage, disrespecting my future husband, etc. I I think that honestly, like it's interesting because when I look back at high school or like my my early twenties, like there was no part of me that would have been like, oh yeah, like let's do it, let's have sex. It was just was not an option in my head. I was just like I was like terrified of the prospect. And so I think that the biggest thing is I did not expect that fear to carry over into marriage, but I think it's hard to separate. Um, But I mean, I do think that I've had to ask myself questions and talk to my friends about like who have kids. Like, okay, how do we create like a healthy sexual ethic where like, obviously I don't want to have to like, I don't want my child and future children to be like I don't know to 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 use sex in a way that would be harmful or that would get them taken advantage of or or not that any of that would be you know her fault but but just I'm saying like I want her to have a healthy approach to sex that being said I also don't want to create an environment where if she is 20 years old and having sex with her boyfriend that she's terrified of going to hell, you know? Mm. So that's what I think that I, where I have landed on, um, that I just think that maybe there is, I don't know. 
I, I just think, okay, maybe the interpretation that I was given of what the Bible says about this, like maybe it doesn't account for some other things. I don't know. Sexual um, ethic is a really great way to describe what you're talking about. Um, yeah. Because you're right. It, and I think some of the fear around questions was that the adults at the time when we were younger, the adults were afraid if we start poking at this, does that mean you're saying you're just going to want to go out and have casual sex with all the people and do all the things and just completely, but that's not it either. There is this holistic picture where you can sit with all these different parts and look at it and say, okay, well, being embarrassed of your body, that's not quite it. But also maybe sharing your body with people that you're not in relationship with. Is that it? Probably not that all the way either. And so it's a combination of all that stuff. I'm curious for you, even having this conversation, does it feel like you hear some of those different voices and opinions in your head even still? Yeah, um, it definitely does. I mean, mm. I think that it's it's just kind of funny, especially being a parent, because when I think about other people's sex lives, so like what my friends were doing on the weekends, like I don't really care. <laughs> it's not really my business. I'm not like Fair. moralizing it. But when I think about like, okay, what am I going to tell my child one day? Right. Then it gets like, oh, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want people to judge me. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of like, I'm like my spirituality and theology are like still changing and evolving. And I'm like, yeah. by the time that it, that it's time for that conversation, which will hopefully be like, you know, at least a few years away, she's only one and a half. Um, I think maybe I'll have like a firmer grasp on, on where I stand and what I want to communicate to her. Yeah. And we get to evolve in this. We get to question the things we've even thought previously right. and, believe in when you said that I was thinking of the fact that there is health and goodness to having this um uh, stepping stone approach to sexual ethics like right you're not going to teach her when she's you know five or whatever and she's asking hey I have this body part daddy has that body part what's going on there you're not going to go, okay, so let's, let's unpack what it's <laughs> like right. to, what is pleasure? You know, like it's right. not, <laughs> that's not where it is. And so there is a time and place for these boxes, if that's the right word, or these boundaries that are a lot more rigid, right? You're not going to necessarily even tell her when she's 13. Yeah, definitely go have sex with your boyfriend. Um, but then it's like, as you have this foundation and you, you mature and you get older and you have these experiences, now you get to ask questions. And when I think of who Christ was while he was on earth, questions were a big part of the way he chose to do ministry questions and stories. Yeah. But for some reason around this topic, we have completely taken out that part. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. Hmm. So purity culture and sexuality is, is one part of your story. And as much as I could talk about that all day, every day, I am curious about the other side with mental health, because you have talked about that before, and I don't know where you're at now with sharing around that, but what has it been like to approach learning what your mental health needed and then caring for that? Yeah. I feel like 
my experience is just like the purity culture experience. My experience is not particularly unique, but it may have been further impacted by growing up in a Pentecostal church, which Mm. in case anyone is unfamiliar, those are the sides and wonders, laying hands, falling out in the spirit people. Um, I did not have a concept of mental illness until I was like, at least in high school, Um, just because I thought that like panic attacks or feeling, you know, having trouble getting out of bed or even feeling suicidal were all attacks from the enemy. Um, And I don't think that I fault my church because I don't think that anyone was like maliciously keeping information from me. They genuinely believed it too. Um, I think that people have a very narrow, specific idea of what a mentally ill person looks like. And it's almost like people don't believe you until things get, get really bad. But um, I have been on mental health medication for the past, give or take like eight or nine years. Um, And it has made a world of difference um, and has made it bearable, you know, for me, especially with anxiety. I think I had a lot of resentment for a while, even now, still, honestly, because I spent so much time praying and fasting and begging for God to heal me because that's what I was told to do. And I, you know, I got worse. Um, so I think, I think I struggled with that. Um, and then there is always the element, depending on the day, this either is a comfort or feels like a cop-out, like what God wanted to heal you through medication. It's like, okay, maybe, (laughs) maybe, or maybe it's just was like the logical process. Um, so, I mean, I think that it definitely had gave me an interesting relationship with spirituality. And I think it's probably one of the reasons that I stepped away from Pentecostalism. Um, cause there were so many dramatic services of like words of knowledge. And God told me that he wants to heal someone who's had, you know, who's been self-harming or who's had suicidal thoughts and, you know, come to the front, and, you know, we're all going to pray for you. And those moments were beautiful. And I don't think that they were ill-intentioned, but I do think that they kind of cause lasting harm when you wake up and the next day, like you feel just as bad as you did, yeah. um, the day before. So yeah, it's been, it's been a really interesting journey. I'm definitely open to talking through anything more in depth, but I feel like that's like the gist. Yeah. Spiritual trauma and mental health really go hand in hand, like very intimately, because even when you were saying that it, it reminded me of being in these big conferences and hearing like, there's, you know, eight people in this room right now that have XYZ illness and God says you're healed. And I remember there was a time when a friend had been diagnosed with something and we were really praying for healing for that, but that has not happened. And so when you have moments like that around physical illness, around mental health, around, I, I even think a lot of Christians who are LGBTQIA, like would say they've had that moment, right? Where they prayed, God, take this away. When that doesn't happen, the immediate damage goes to your spiritual relationship because you were told if you pray about this, God will do it. And so if it doesn't unfold that way, now you are either doubting God as his entire character, or you're doubting yourself as being good enough because did I not pray hard enough? Am I irredeemable? Like all of these things, it's so 
so impactful. <sighs> There's a lot of weight around that. And so do you feel like you're still in that place where your mindset around it is, is similar or have you moved to a place of healing around that belief system really? Yeah. Well, you know, to your point about like these services where they're naming illnesses, I do think it's always interesting, you know, healing from mental illness. Um, you know, if you have a tumor, you can go get a scan the next day to see like, is it still there? Is it not? Or if you are getting up out of a wheelchair, as a lot of us have seen at these services, you know, okay, maybe that feels conclusive. Although, you know, who knows what's what, but I think that there's so many factors that influence mental health and depressive episodes and where you are that like, sometimes like, I feel like when you're hyped up on adrenaline and like this excitement that you think you're going to be better forever, like you mm. probably do feel better for a while. That happened to me sometimes. I didn't always feel disappointed. Like, oh, it hasn't happened. There are times that I thought that I had been healed. And then a couple of weeks later, I would kind of, you know, I'd have a panic attack or I'd feel in the pits and I'd, and I'd wonder, um, I don't know. I, I think that I not taking away from like the nature of God and his ability to do anything, of course, but I think that the only way that I was able to remain a Christian was to view a God who like mourned with me and was there with me mm. and not a God who's like up in heaven, like a puppet master, like, Oh, I'm going to heal you, but not you, yeah. you know? And so I think that that is where I, where I landed, um, that, you know, it's just an unfortunate reality that, that X person of the population is going to have health problems. Um, you know, and I am in that percentage. I don't think that I am any more deserving than a non-Christian to be delivered from it, whatever that means. So, I mean, I definitely am not like still praying for healing. I mean, I feel like my conditions are managed by medication. I am doing well. Um, I, I, I just think that sometimes the church unintentionally puts mental health through a different light. Um, hmm. Because outside from like some very like charismatic Pentecostal groups, if you pray for someone to be healed of cancer and it doesn't happen, like you might just say, okay, like, well, that's not God's will, but it's never, it's always God's will to heal of mental illness in the churches I've been in. You know, it's like, it's just, you need to keep praying. You need to keep trying. You need to keep asking um, in a way that they would not treat physical illness. So it's, mm. it's very interesting. I feel like I'm like on a soapbox, but no, I love <laughs> that it has you been just my experience. Like, you sparked so many different thoughts because have you seen the shack? No, I haven't. Okay. I loved that movie when it came out. So it was originally a book Then there was a movie adaptation. I had not read the book. Don't come for me. Um, <laughs> but when it came out, I do remember that there was like an uproar among Christians for some reason, one of them being that they had cast, um, is her name Octavia Spencer? Um, but she yeah, was, I remember God being a black woman in the, yeah. in the I was familiar with that. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm not touching that one today, but there were other things that were angering to people. But when I watched the movie, without any spoilers, there's a point where the main character, who I think his name is Mac, he's in this canoe 
and he's in the middle of the water by himself because he's getting away because I guess like the Trinity was just annoying him or whatever was happening. But it starts filling like with this black tar and he's like freaking out and it's coming in and the boat's starting to sink and Jesus steps up next to him and he's like, hey, just look at me. This is not me. I'm not doing this. Look at me. Take my hand. Come with me. And I don't know why that visual was so deeply impactful. Like it had to be like seven, eight years ago that I saw that movie, but it made it feel like there are a lot of the times that that black tar coming in the boat, because of our God concept and the way we see him, it almost feels directly correlate. Like if this is happening, that God, you did this to me, or you're the reason that like you allowed the boat to start sinking but this illustration was kind of seeing it like you were saying, like he's with us in these moments rather than just being this super, super distant figure. It's, it's complex to think through. And if anyone's listening to this and needs a second to just chew through what that means to you on your own, that's, that's totally fine. But where mental health is concerned specifically, you're right, there's multiple factors. Someone could be in a depressive episode that just isn't shifting because every time they go home to their family, they're being called like stupid idiot or, you know, they're being actually abused. Well, yeah, that depression makes a lot of sense from that level in combination with some like just pre-existing biological things that might be in place, but that's just not going back to the black and white. That's not the picture right. that we have for mental health. We just see it as either it's a completely spiritual issue or, you know, all sorts of things. Yeah. I think that the church, I don't know the church at large, maybe the churches that I follow or I'm associated with some churches yeah, (laughs) are doing a better job, but I feel also that in the last few years, there've been a lot of prominent suicides of pastors and church leaders Mm. And I think that some of those stories are causing people to realize, okay, there's, there's like, there's something going on here. It's not just spiritual warfare. Um, But I hate that it has come to that. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, as a people group, humans, I don't think we really understand well how mind, body, and spirit intertwine. Right. I think a lot of life's journey is us trying to figure it out. And there are some folks who go completely into body, which like, is that hedon, hedonistic? Is that the word for that? I think so. Yeah. Entirely pleasure focused. So like whatever feels good and is good. And, you know, and I enjoy in this time, that's all I'm focused on. There's people who escape entirely into mind where it's just about intellectualism and finding all the ideas and blah, 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 being the smartest. And then there's people who escape entirely into spirit they, they deny the reality of the fact that you're here on earth with other people and all this stuff. But for, to me, anyway, the ideal would be to consistently exist in a space of combining all three of them and right. seeing how all three play into any given thing, whether it's sex, raising a child, mental health. All yeah. That. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that was my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I completely agree. And I, yeah, I think it's interesting and something that we could all do better with. Mm. So if you were to talk to someone right now that is where you were 
in any way, shape or form, but where you were maybe 10 years ago or something like that in mental health, in purity, culture, what would you really want them to know? Oh gosh. Big questions. No, it, it, <laughs> I, I love it. It is a big question though. So let me make sure that I get it right. I, so I think that for mental health, I found more understanding among people who were not Christians than people who were by far. Um, I think that that's kind of the funny thing and almost embarrassing sometimes about the church. Um, and one reason that I struggled with like white evangelicalism is that we celebrate strides that are way behind what the rest mm. of the world is when it comes to like being progressive or, mm. you know, um, if a church is like, oh, we have a black pastor now. I'm like, okay, but it's 2022. Like, yeah. this is not an accomplishment. It's an embarrassment. But I, I feel a way about so many things that I think that if you're struggling with mental health and don't have resources, it's okay to go outside of the church and to find help. Even when I did start going to therapy, um, it was Christian therapy because I didn't think and the Christian therapist would not refer me to a psychiatrist. It's an important point. And I was oh. fine with it because I did not think that I needed medicine. I thought I just needed to talk it out. Um, so that experience really impacted me because it ended up with me in the hospital. And wow, long story there, but I personally primarily seek out secular therapists just because I had a bad experience with, 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 uh, with the one. Um, so, I mean, I think if you have to talk to people outside of the church if you're not in church and you're listening then I guess the advice would just be to to get help tell your doctor what's going on and 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 you know find professionals who can help you um and then with purity culture I would say that it's okay to ask questions there's so many resources now that I feel there weren't right when yeah. I mm-hmm. when I was younger um I feel like I learned a lot just from Twitter and from following Christians of all sorts and um and I think that's helped expand my, my perspective a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think overall, I would say that life got better for me in so many ways when I like left the bubble that I was in mm. and started to process other worldviews and opinions. So yeah, that's a big thing for me. Breaking the bubble. Yeah. I mean, the Christ that we follow, that's kind of exactly what he did is deliberately (laughs) immediately like left the bubble um what you just said about that that therapist is triggering to be as a therapist (laughs) but I know it happens all the time and sometimes people will come for counseling um and not know that there is a difference between Christian counseling versus someone who's a licensed therapist that may or may not be a Christian right yeah completely different maybe that'll be another soapbox I stand on someday but I'm so sorry that that happened I know it worked out for you in the end but I'm sorry that they had to have a little detour there because of that yeah and honestly I think that to your point I think it was more so a lack of experience than any sort of malice on her Mm -hmm. part you know Mm -hmm. I think that she just had a very, she was great when it came to talking through like relational problems and social things I was dealing with. But when it actually was like, okay, like crap is hitting the fan. She just did not know what to do. So, 
but that's yeah. neither here nor there. I think I, I want to clarify that there are a ton of therapists who I know who are Christian, who do an amazing job. Um, yeah. I know that there are probably even Christian counselors who do an amazing job. Yeah. Um, just for me, it was a, it was a little bit of a, <laughs> a an unpleasant experience. It is. And there is, I think the word goes back to nuance, right? Like there, this is not black and white. And so often this conversation around deconstruction ends up going straight back to black and white where it's now everything having to do with the church and Christians is wrong and bad. Right. Like, no, they're like, you just said it perfectly. So questions, please. People ask, be okay asking questions or at least knowing that you have them maybe that's a first step because some right. circles it's not safe to ask questions yeah yeah well thank you so much for being willing to have like this deep <laughs> super deep conversation with me today yeah I loved it I feel like most of the podcast stuff that I do is pretty like light and fluffy which is fun but it's also really yeah. good to just like get deep and real so yeah thanks for having me yes if the people want to find you and keep up with you and your story and your fashion and all the things that come along with you where can they find you sure the easiest way to find me is instagram and it's just my entire name so buckle up um but it is ayana (laughs) gabrielle lage um a-y-a-n-a-g-a-b-r-i-e-l-l-e L-A-G-E. But by the time that you get to Ayana G, I usually come up. So hopefully you don't have to type the whole thing. But yeah, feel free to, to reach out if you, uh, if you want to connect. Yay! So it was really great talking with Ayana. I hope that in listening to her story, there's something in there that you could relate to as well, where you can feel like, oh my goodness, yes, yes, that too, me too. Really hope so, because understanding is a really huge thing for me and the purpose of sharing these stories is to build more understanding especially around the parts that are not as clear-cut and straightforward as sometimes the life is made out to seem to be right so if you would like to continue following Ayana's story the links to all of her you know social media profile stuff will be in the bio or in the show notes for this episode But if hearing her story kind of brought stuff up for you or you're thinking you need to work through some of that for yourself, you're struggling with it in your personal life or in your relationship, I would love to work with you. So the link to work with me will also be in the show notes or on my website, myintimacytherapist.com. But definitely make sure to subscribe so you can keep getting episodes and updates about them in your podcast feed. As always, I hope that through listening to this and through sharing your life with others that you will build a life where you feel more and more fully seen, fully known, and fully loved. We'll talk soon.